It's really good to be here with you this morning, a holiday weekend, and we at our, in our family had no plans but to stay home and just rest. And it looks like some of you had the same thing on your agenda that we did, so I hope you're enjoying yourself this weekend, and maybe you get the day off tomorrow to continue that. We have been looking at the Psalms this year, and I simply love the Psalms because to me it's like the prayer book of the Bible. I'll, I'm, this morning, I'm going to talk about Psalm 77 and use another passage from 2 Kings to sort of illustrate this. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 77 and 2 Kings 2 and just stick your bulletin in 2 Kings, we're going to start in Psalm 77. But that way, when I say, hey, now let's look at 2 Kings, you'll be ready. You'll be ready to go. And I am going to begin this morning by reading Psalm 77 to you. I debated about what uh, translation of the Bible to use because <clears throat> each one brings a different thing to the table. But this morning, I thought that the message was just a very relatable um, translation for us to use this morning. So I'm going to use the message as I read Psalm 77 to you this morning. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. And I just realized I'm reading from the NIV. <laughs> That's great, but I'm going to read from the message. So now I'm going to start. I yell out to my God. I yell with all my might. I yell. At the top of my lungs, I yell. And he listens. I found myself in trouble and went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound that would not heal. When friends said, everything is going to turn out all right, I didn't believe a word they said. I didn't believe it. I remember God and I shake my head. I bow my head. I wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say, I can't even tell you what's bothering me. I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute all through the night, wondering how to get my life together. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? Will he never smile again? Is his love-worn threadbare? Has his salvation promise just burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stalked off and left us? Just my luck, I said. The high God goes out of business just at the moment I need him. Once again, I'll go over what God has done. I'll lay out on the table the ancient wonders. I'll ponder all the things you've accomplished, and I'll give a long, loving look at your acts. Oh, God, your way is holy. No God is great like our God. You're the God who makes things happen. You showed everyone what you can do. You pulled your people out of the worst kind of trouble. You rescued the children of Jacob and Joseph. Ocean saw you in action, God, saw you and trembled with fear. 
Deep ocean was scared to death. Clouds belched buckets of rain. Sky exploded with thunder. Your arrows flashed this way and that. From whirlwind came your thundering voice. Lightning exposed the world. Earth reeled and rocked. You strode <clears throat> right through ocean, walked straight through roaring ocean, but nobody saw you come or go. Hidden in the hands of Moses and Aaron, you led your people like a flock of sheep. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wow. Have you ever felt like that? God, I have no idea what's wrong, but everything is. And my guess is that, yes, you absolutely have felt like that. You've been hurt or depressed or disappointed with life, that you've experienced sleepless nights, and you've had the wringing of hands that comes from just being anxious. You've questioned, and you've called out, and you may not have gotten any answers to, and, and sort of felt abandoned. That is, if you're really honest about it. Honesty is so hard, and dishonesty is so prevalent. And I'm not talking about honesty like, did you do this or that? Did you eat this or take that, or did you say this to so-and-so? I'm not talking about the honesty of doing. Most of us would be true in saying that we're honest about the things that we do. I'm talking today about the honesty of being. And here, sometimes we are all flat-out liars. Here, we like to hide, and we like to to hide what we really feel or what we think. Here, we tend to pretend. We like to pretend that life isn't hard and that we don't struggle with it. We like to pretend that because it's easier. It's easier to walk down the hall and say, how are you? I'm fine, great, good to see you, and move on. It's hard and it's quite frankly, terribly impractical to be honest. How long would it take you to walk down the hall? How are you? I'm not fine. I am not okay. Life is really hard. I feel alone. And let me tell you about it. I mean, what do we really do with that? Yet, this is exactly what we see in Psalm 77. Brutal honesty. The psalmist in Psalm 77 is crying out and feeling alone. God, where are you? I'm so upset, I can't sleep. I'm wringing my hands, I'm worried, I'm sad. I don't see you anywhere in my life right now. Did you pull a bait and switch because you took care of them and you're not taking care of me? Do you care? Have you forgotten? The psalmist is brutally honest about life. He doesn't try to pretty things up before calling out to God. He says, God, in all of my praying, I'm continuing to pray to you, and I feel no comfort. The psalmist has more questions than he has answers. And all of his questions point him to think, I've been left alone. God has forgotten about me. 
You know, a few weeks ago I was meeting with someone that's not in our church, but who wanted to get together to talk about things and pray. And when I prayed for this individual specifically at the end of our time together, I prayed that he would remember that God loves him and that others love him. And when I finished praying, he said, I really don't think that you needed to pray that I remember that God loves me because, I mean, I know that God loves me. And I said, yeah, I I mean, I, I believe that you really believe that. But you are not living like you believe that. Sometimes we need help remembering to live out what we believe. Sometimes our own self gets in the way of us being honest. Of course, most of us would say that we know God loves us and God is never going to leave us. But when life gets really hard and we feel differently, we don't allow ourselves the freedom to be honest and truly tell others or God what life is like. We live like practical atheists. We believe with our head and our heart, and we just don't live like we believe it. Stuff we all feel at some point or another, but we never talk about. Is it that we don't trust each other, or God, or maybe even ourselves, enough to be honest? To yell with the psalmist, I am not okay. Things are not fine. And to just be with that. We all want to change things, to make things better, to make things easier. But the truth is, sometimes life is hard. And sometimes we just need to remember to be with what is. And to be with what life is like for each other. Just hold it right here. The psalmist is honest and acknowledges what is real in front of God and in front of himself and in front of others. I mean, it's here in the Bible. How honest are you in your being with how things are, really? And I don't mean that you need to tell everyone everything, but with God and a few safe people, is there space somewhere for you to just be. Say things that are terrible and not have to have an answer and not expect an answer from someone else. It's in this honesty with God and with ourselves and with other people that we can truly begin to heal and move forward from the things and the wounds that have power over us. Now maybe for you that looks like a small group of people, maybe it looks like a good friend, Maybe it looks like a therapist or counselor. Maybe it looks like a journal where you honestly pour out your heart and allow yourself space to be real. It doesn't really matter what it looks like, but it needs to look like something. None of us are exempt from the need for space to be real and honest. As a church culture in general, Big C Church. We're terrible with this. An article I read this week um, that talked about church struggles and, and especially regarding mental illness said that we struggle with how to struggle as a church. We just don't know how to say things are hard and I don't know what to do about it. And nothing can be more true. We'd rather come to church and put on masks and pretend things are just good for a few hours and then go home to 
our broken hearts or our broken marriages or our mental illnesses or our jobs that are in shambles or our stressful family or our grief or our sickness because we think that's easier. We don't have to work so much for it. It's just easier to not have to deal with the hard work of being real. But you see, if we continue to live like that, and we continue to hide and pretend, then we stay right here. We stay in verse 1 through 11 of this psalm. And we never get past what it is for us. The psalmist in, seven, in Psalm 77 is real and honest, but he does not stay in that place of lament. He doesn't stay there. Verse 11 all the way through 20, the psalmist turns from, this is how bad it is, and this is how bad I feel, to, I'm going to look, and I'm going to see what God is doing, and what God has done. He looks at the story of the Exodus, of walking through the raging waters of the Red Sea, being led by Moses and Aaron, leading the Israelites through the waters, he says in verse 19, you were there, God, and no one even saw you. The NIV uses the phrase, no one saw your footprint. God was there. No one could tell because things were so terrible, but God was there. And the psalmist is remembering that. Because, folks, that is the truth. We just have to allow ourselves to get there. It's in this meditating and pondering and remembering the miracles and what God has done in our lives and in the lives of others that we can get out of the first 11 verses of this psalm. We can get out of where the psalmist starts. It's in the meditating and the remembering that we can move from this frustration and fear and just frantic anxiety and, and move to healing and healthy faith. Now here's where we're going to pick up in 2 Kings. So flip to 2 Kings chapter 2. And I'm going to read the first 14 verses or so from, for you. And this time I really am going to use the NIV. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now, to kind of set the stage of what's happening, we see the prophet Elijah is getting ready to pass on his prophetic responsibility and his mantle of, of, of responsibility to his follower, his protege, Elisha. That's confusing. <laughs> Elisha knows this is coming. He knows that Elijah is getting ready to go. We never explicitly know how he knows that, but just listen especially for the, the way that Elisha um, approaches things in his actions as I continue to read. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. 
the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he, meaning Elisha, replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he, Elisha, replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. You know, I can remember really clearly the day my mom dropped me off in kindergarten, just like it was yesterday. I was so excited to be going to kindergarten. And I walked in the classroom, and my teacher had these big containers of strawberries sitting at our desk. That was back when no one had allergies and you could do anything in the classroom. <laughs> we got to walk around and find our seats and sit down. And that morning we had strawberries for snack that probably were unwashed and fresh from the field because I grew up in the boonies. I was so excited, but I was also scared to death. I can remember the panic when my mom left the room. I was by myself. What if I needed her? What if I had a problem and needed help? What if I couldn't do this whole school thing? Similar to that feeling was the feeling that I had when my parents dropped me off at NC State for my freshman year of college. I was in Sullivan dorm, and I was in a room so tiny I had to like gasp to breathe in there. It was just so little. So excited, so ready to take on college, but equally at the same time, I was scared to death. Scared. I can remember having that same feeling also, 
when I had my first baby, my mom came to stay with me for a little while. And when she drove away, I stood at our door in our house and cried because I didn't know how in the world I was going to do this by myself. Not that I didn't have a husband who could help. He's there. <laughs> it still left me feeling very alone and scared. And he's super helpful, by the way. <laughs> it was just so scary. Sometimes our life is full of transition. Elisha in this story, is in the middle of an incredible transition. He, he knows Elijah is leaving, but he isn't ready to see him go. Three different times, Elijah tries to go away, and Elisha's like, no, 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 I'm there. I'm going with you. Don't you, you're not going anywhere that I'm not going. He doesn't even want to talk about it to the people that bring it up. Do you know this is going to happen? Hush, we're not talking about this. Don't, don't talk about that. He is the picture of a, a dependent protege who wants to be by his master's side at all times. Don't leave me. A college freshman who wants the big world but is really sort of scared to have to deal with it. We're all a little bit resistant to change. It makes us nervous. It's hard. We want to silence the prophets around us that want to talk about it. Think about any time in your life when you have been in a season of transition. Graduations are great for this. So what are you going to do after you graduate? What are you going to do after so-and-so happens? And you know they're being nice and just really interested in what's happening in your life, but inside you want to scream, I don't know. I hadn't figured that out. Stop asking me that question. You don't want to have to deal with it because... It's scary, and it's change, and it's transition, and it's hard. And Elisha sees this change, this transition. He sees it coming, literally, in a whirlwind of fire, taking his mentor Elijah away. And in verse 12, Elisha screams out, My father, my father. Elijah was close to Elisha, like a father. And then we, we read in continuing in verse 12, that Elisha is so upset that he tears his clothes in half. And folks, if you don't have a closet full of clothes, which most people didn't back then, that is a big deal to rip the ones you're wearing in two. He was upset. I imagine just this big mix of anxiety and sadness, fear of what to, was to come, and all that he had just seen this miracle that he knew was happening happen right before his eyes. At this moment for Elisha is where I hear the echoes of Psalm 77. God, where are you? He's gone. I have to do this on my own and I don't really know how. Are you serious? I don't know how to do this. Sometimes the whirlwinds of change just happen. Things happen. But sometimes, as we see in this passage with Elisha, God creates the changes and the whirlwinds as part of a bigger plan that we may not be able to fully see. God's whirlwind blows away our security. 
in ourselves and in other people, and it forces us to place our trust in him and him alone. Elisha, like the psalmist in Psalm 77, sees things honestly. He sees that Elijah is gone and that now things are left to him. He sees that he's scared by that. And maybe he's a little bit resistant. And he's definitely missing and grieving the loss of the mentor that Elijah was to him. Elisha isn't too scared to be honest. I mean, he rips his clothes up. But then he, like the psalmist, does not stay there. He's honest, he's real with how he feels and how life is for him, but he doesn't stay holed up there. He doesn't camp out on the side of the Jordan that he was in, lamenting and about how terrible things are. He moves on. We read in verse 13 that he picks up the mantle, the cloak that Elijah wore that represented his prophetic nature, and he moved on. As Elisha strikes the banks of the Jordan, just like Elijah had done, he remembers. He calls out to God. He says, where are you? He mourns. And then he walks through on dry ground. He remembers that now he is the one who carries the same power that his mentor Elijah had, even more. See, it's in remembering the, the teachings and the miracles that we have experienced, just like Elisha did. It enables Elisha to walk forward into the new miracles that God was calling him to be a part of. So the question for us is, where do we go from here? What do we do with all that we have seen and heard and learned from these two passages today? I want to give us a few things that we need to remember as we leave our time together. And one is we need to remember to be honest with God, with ourselves, as hard as it is with each other, about our being. We need to pray honestly and not pretty ourselves up before God. We can, God can handle our mess. We need to find a safe place to be real with other people because God created us for relationships with him through Christ, but also for relationships with each other. If we can't be that for each other in church, we're missing out on a really important part of who God has called us to be as his people. We also need to remember, and this is hard, to just be with what is sometimes. To struggle with learning how to struggle. To allow other people to be real and just hold it. Just hold it right there. Not have to fix it, not have to have a solution or an answer, but just to join other people on their journey and allow other people to join us on ours. To be vulnerable, to sit with it, walk with it, and with each other. That's community. That's being the body of Christ to each other. We put on masks because we don't want other people to judge us or maybe see how we feel. When what a lot of times what I have found as I have chosen to be honest with other people is that I get a lot of me too. And 
just deep sighs of people who realize they are not on this journey alone, and in the same moment, I realize I'm not alone either. Elisha and the psalmist show us that being real is necessary, and honesty is hard, but it's impossible to go through life in a meaningful way without both of them. One of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, says that vulnerability feels like courage and sounds like truth. Truth and courage aren't comfortable, but they're never weakness. We need to be that to each other and allow others to be that to us. And then we need to remember the miracles. Remember what God has done in our lives and in the lives of other people and let that be what pushes us forward. It pushes us out of the funk and into the future of what God's got for us. See, remembering brings the past up here to the present and allows that to change us and mold us and push us forward. We need the remembering to push us forward. It's easy to stay in the first part of Psalm 77, where everything's bad and no one knows. We need to go there, but we don't need to stay there. Remembering what God has done, the stories of the past, the experiences, the miracles we have seen, help us to rest in grace and peace, and that only comes from God. So my question for you this morning is, what do you need to remember most? Where do you find yourself in these stories? Needing to be honest? Needing to be real with others? Needing to push forward into the future? What do you need to remember most? This morning we're going to stand and sing from our hymnal as our time of response. And as we do that, I invite you to to do just that, to remember, to ponder, to think, to meditate on what you have heard God speaking to you this morning. I'll remind you that there are ministers that are available to pray um, with you at the prayer stations at the back of the sanctuary, and you are always invited to write a prayer card or light a candle if that is a meaningful prayer um, experience for you. If you would like to talk about making a decision for Christ, or maybe you already have and want to talk with a minister about that, we are here for you to do just that. And if you have taken Oakmont 101 and you know that you are ready to unite with our church family and join this community officially, we would welcome that as well. So I invite you this morning to stand. Our hymn of response is number 494, and we will be using the hymnals this morning. Let's stand and sing together.